Welcome to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast focused on highlighting extraordinary individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ, a not-for-profit cooperative credit union based in Bellingham, Washington. Drive around the streets of downtown Bellingham today and you're likely to find at least one person who's homeless. However, the population of Whatcom County who finds themselves without a stable shelter has significantly changed over the last 30 years. Lydia Place, a local nonprofit, has made significant strides towards addressing the issue of homelessness in our community. In my conversation today with Ashley Thomason, Housing Program Supervisor for Lydia Place, you'll hear about the current state of homelessness, how it's changed, and what the present challenges are. Ashley, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Why don't you start by telling me who Lydia Place is? Lydia Place is an agency committed to ending homelessness and the generational cycle of poverty in Bellingham. Biggest chunk of what we do and how we started is by providing housing services to over 150 households at any point in time. Beyond that, we also provide counseling, mental health services, and parenting education to the families that we serve. And as I mentioned, I supervise our housing division. Right, so you guys mm-hmm. do quite a few things. That that's, might be an understatement, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> got your hands in a lot of different areas. We'll mm-hmm. have to dive into a few more of those as we go on. Um, but specifically looking at the housing, mm-hmm. what is the need for that in Whatcom County? I think the need for it is, is really quite huge. Um, and that goes back to... A lot of different things. Part of it has just been the economy and the recession that happened in 2008 and the pause that that put on building new housing as our population as a community has increased. And our vacancy rate right now in town is 1.8%. Most um, healthy communities are more at 8%. And that 1.8 is actually up from uh, it's been below 1% for the last three to four years. So small small increase in housing inventory, but not enough. There's really just not enough housing to house the population, if, even if we wanted to here in Bellingham. So we're already at a disadvantage just based on that. Plus there's a whole affordability factor that goes along with that. Wages have not kept up with the increasing costs of rentals in Whatcom County. And so that has impacted all of us, the entire community, um, but more so specifically those that were already struggling to get by and making it paycheck to paycheck. Wow. Yeah, I know we we hear all the time about just um, rental prices continuing to increase year after year. And I can see how um, that could definitely contribute to uh, an issue of somebody who's just not able to afford that and kind of looking for alternative options. Mm -hmm. How did Lydia Place start? Uh, We were started by a group of women we lovingly call our founding mothers. And uh, back in 1989, and they were just a group of women that saw a need in the community. They saw other single mothers with kids out on the street in a need of housing. And so they pulled all their money and resources together. A couple of even a couple of them even took out second mortgages on their own homes and purchased our flagship facility 
which is located over um, on Gladstone. And that was uh, used to be a home for a family that had 11 children. And now we turned it into a transitional housing facility for homeless women and children. We've expanded over the last few years to offer primarily permanent housing focused solutions. So some of those are permanent supportive housing where there's a case management attached to the unit for a long period of time, as well as a permanent subsidy for those that might need financial help a little bit longer. And then also working with private landlords in the community to just break into that private rental market and provide short-term subsidies to help um, with a quicker intervention and getting folks back on their feet. Okay, you're talking about short-term, you're talking about long-term, you're talking about working with, sounds like, apartment managers. Um, mm-hmm. Let's So as far as the short-term, mm-hmm. who does that best serve and, and who, who, who are you helping with that sort of resource? Great question. One thing we know is that the quicker a family or individual is able to get housing after losing housing, the better. Things really deteriorate quickly when you're homeless, and the longer that you're homeless, the harder it is to establish that stability again. And so our goal is really to get into that permanent long-term solution as soon as possible. Every once in a while, there are um, situations with families that we serve where things really just are complicated. We want to make sure when we're providing a resource and a permanent housing option to a family that we're offering the right one since we have such a myriad of programs. And so in those situations where there's so much going on and we don't know what that right next step is, that's when we provide those short-term solutions to give us a little bit of breathing room so we can make sure that the next move that we make, the permanent one, is the one that's the best fit for the family and where they're going to find the most success long-term. What might be an example of something where you're not really sure what the best solution is? That uh, could be a lot of things. Sometimes it's, you know, it can be hard to just maintain appointments sometimes when you're homeless and you don't have a cell phone uh, or ways to keep track of time. And so sometimes there's, we just need to provide that place of stability where we can kind of get back on track and back on schedule. Sometimes there's physical abilities or mental health needs that are exacerbated by the crisis that's been happening and the homeless situation. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you lose an apartment, if you were evicted, you might owe money. Um, But if you didn't go to a place with a forwarding address, you might not know that you have a debt to a previous landlord. And that could impact your ability to get a new apartment just based on the different programs and opportunities out there. And so sometimes we just kind of need to take a minute and do some credit figuring out with our clients as to to what's actually like on their history that might be able to help us resolve that and talk to a property manager about that. So it sounds like the short-term ones are kind of like the EMT, the kind of the the short-term solution, bandaging it up while you're trying to figure out some of these things that might Mm -hmm. um, figure themselves out and kind of provide for that that foundation for a more stable housing where you're interacting with um, a property manager that might have other clients or customers or whatever that are not being assisted Mm -hmm. okay exactly makes sense 
Um, and before Lydia Place came along, back um, with the founding mothers, mm-hmm. what what was the situation? Who was helping folks that needed help like, like you guys are right now? Good question. Um, so I do know there were a couple other agencies that already existed in Whatcom County, Opportunity Council being one of them. But I think we really um, were just starting to get on that trajectory to really starting that state of crisis and homelessness and access to benefits or lack thereof. Um, but, yeah. Sounds like the the main, the initial need mm-hmm. that that, um, that they were addressing was mothers with children. And I would guess mm-hmm. that probably um, finding a safe place that's a good environment for mothers with children mm-hmm. isn't always the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Uh, absolutely true. Absolutely true, especially on a short-term basis. And um, the the greatest population of homeless individuals in our community, or homeless families, I should say, homeless families are single mothers with children. I, th- I think that has historically been the case. There's lots of factors that contribute to that. One, just being source of income and Two, domestic violence has been a big contributing factor as well to the single mothers with children in our community that are struggling to make it. And so being able to provide that safe haven during that time um, proved to be really critical in terms of being able to look forward to the future. I can imagine um, being a single parent, and especially one that's facing other financial issues or you know, really trying to just find your feet, kind of more just like surviving mm-hmm. rather than looking for ways to thrive. It, it can it can be difficult, especially when you're trying to tend to your your children's needs. So I can see why um, a single parent in general, or especially a mother, um, that could be a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know currently you guys provide services for more than just mothers and children. Mm-hmm. You kind of expanded as the years have gone on, um, but that was kind of the original. Um, the original vision for, for yes the original vision and still very much the bulk of the clients that we serve are single mothers with children a lot of our services are targeted towards families we do still serve singles and couples without children two-parent households and single dads but the majority of the families that are experiencing homeless in the community that we're serving are significantly sing- single mothers great you mentioned earlier um, that you have case managers that help mm-hmm. some of these families. What is the role of a case manager? What do they do? Why is it important? Case management is really vital to the success of our programs with our organization. I like to think of our case managers really as life coaches. So at first, they play a really big role in advocacy in terms of helping secure the housing placement for our families and really building that relationship with our clients and rapport. And then though, once the clients get into housing, that's that's really when the real work begins. And as you already mentioned, when you're trying to just think about where you're sleeping that night and what you're going to eat and keeping yourself and your kids safe, you can't really think about the future. And sometimes too, just being in that state can be really discouraging to your self-esteem and your confidence. So our case managers play a really key role in helping our clients recognize their strengths and start to build a vision for their future. And then they help 
them set goals so that they can get there, whether that's going back to school, going back to work, just focusing on parenting and building a healthy and safe home, getting involved in their community, um, the apartment where they're living could be a myriad of different things. Um, and it just depends on what's important to each family is, is different for all the families that we serve. So case managers also wear very many hats because each family that they're working with is different and they really have to take a unique approach to every family that they serve or individual that they serve. But they really get to help them start to just vision what a future would be like for their family and help them get there. So it almost kind of sounds like the housing is the first piece of stability. Mm-hmm. But the but the case manager is kind of integral in helping them begin to thrive, begin mm-hmm. to kind of look outside of that cycle that yep. they might have like gotten themselves caught in. Um, so what are what are some examples of, of things that they might help them with? I think you mentioned you know getting involved in the community, looking at your career, mm-hmm. um, probably helping them kind of address some of the challenges that they're facing up against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eliminating those barriers. There's usually it's rarely that someone doesn't want to go back to work or doesn't want to go back to school and increase their education, but there's real reasons that they haven't been able to. <laughs> and so it's being able to address those barriers, whether they're you know, internal or external barriers, finding resources to pay for college. Maybe they, their family didn't go to college and so they just didn't know how to navigate doing that. Um, some of it also is, there's even basic stuff like money management. You know, we all, all aren't taught that. And especially for example, for some of our moms that are fleeing domestic violence, they might not have been allowed to have any say in their finances or control over their finances or even see what was happening with the finances. So there's sometimes some of those just basic life skills that we're working on creating that foundation for so then we can keep moving forward with those other goals. This is kind of not necessarily written in Lydia Place. I'm just purely curious about it. Um, I know that you predominantly help families but Mm -hmm. there seems to be quite a few homeless people in Whatcom County Mm -hmm. in general Mm -hmm. and I know that that you know extends up and down the I-5 corridor Um, if somebody like let's say it's a man Mm -hmm. and he's homeless Mm -hmm. and he were to approach Lydia place Mm -hmm. what would his options be What, what resources would you have for him we have two different permanent housing programs that have opportunities for singles for housing placements. And we're currently looking at how we can expand our services. As I mentioned before, we don't have enough resources nor housing options to meet the need of the entire population. And so one of the things that we did as a community, for better or for worse, but I I hope better, was prioritize serving families with children, recognizing that no children should, no child should be in a car. And children really are our future. Um, you know, if we're not able to provide healthy childhoods for the kids in our community, we're not going to have adult, healthy adults in the next generation. So that's part of why Lydia Place has prioritized for so many years the families that we're serving. That said, we're actually very, very close to ending family homelessness here in Bellingham. And so as we are approaching meeting that benchmark in hopefully the next year, we are um, looking at 
digging deeper into serving the single population of folks that are homeless in our community because we know that that is also just as great of a need. Um, and for, yeah. That's great. I mean, that's, um, I think as far as some of the challenges that you're facing, I think that it's always that we, we could be doing more, mm-hmm. but we just always face resources and resource um, crunches. But that's amazing you guys are close to um, ending family homelessness. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, what would you say are some other challenges that you're facing or some other hurdles that you want to jump over? I know I've brought it up already. Um, we really need to tackle that issue of affordable housing here in Bellingham. While the city has done a great job starting a response and uh, banning source of income discrimination and discrimination against housing subsidies and requiring landlords to provide more notice if they're going to increase the rent on units, uh, there's still a real long way to go. And with this market, you know, just because you can can increase the rent doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Um, there's just a real, like, real inequity with the wages and the jobs um, and how they compare to the rental market rates. So folks are needing to work two, three jobs just to really meet their basic needs with paying rents and apartments around Bellingham right now. And, you know, we're kind of at a loss as to how we can solve that on our own. Do you, I mean, I thought about this in the past before, but do you think maybe part of the issue is the supply? I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be profitable for, for some developer to build a high-rise apartment complex, and they probably make a lot of money on it, but there's probably some sort of city regulation saying that you can't build it too high or you can't build there or it's expensive to get this permit and that permit would you say supply might be one of the barriers yeah i can't really speak to all the uh specifics specifics as to why that might be but supply is certainly a barrier and i know for example we're a college community and you know western has continued to increase enrollment you know whatcom and btc are getting to be bigger campuses and there hasn't been more um, university or college sponsored builds in the last 10 years. Um, There's been other private developers trying to fill that market, but the students need to go somewhere. They need to live somewhere too. And so I know that that's one of the things also kind of compounding the community. I think that would be interesting to have those conversations and, and look at Western and say, why aren't you building more housing? Or look at the city codes and saying, how hard is it some, for somebody to build um, you know, housing here? Are there, is there land that could be opened up mm-hmm. that's kind of being obstructed by zoning issues or something yeah. like that? So It certainly is really complex. And I think what, what I'm taking away from what you just hit on, which I um, should have stated from the beginning, is it's really just a, it's, it's going to take a community effort. It's going to take multiple groups with all sorts of different resources, not just a nonprofit that cares, but, you know, developers, volunteers, other members in our community helping to identify ways that we can decrease barriers to housing access. How did you come to Lydia Place? How did you, where did you, what did you do before? What brought you here? What attracted you to the job? Great question. 
I am actually celebrating 10 years at Lydia Place this week. Ooh. Yeah. So I've, I've been there for quite a while and got to see its growth over the years. I was pretty lucky and super unqualified, but hired pretty much directly out of college, out of the human services program at Western, and uh, hired as we were starting our rapid rehousing permanent permanent housing program at Lydia Place just 10 years ago. And I always knew, as I was a human services major, that I'd go into the helping field. And I think what specifically drew me to Lydia Place, beyond just it seeming like a really positive, healthy, fun organization to work at, was, um, you know, I had my own personal experiences, uh, close brushes with homelessness, my Family had our own crisis when I was growing up, and if we didn't have extended family and natural resources to help us out, we would have been homeless too. And so I think for me, there's always just been that understanding that it really could happen to anyone at any point in time. And if you're not someone that doesn't have those natural supports built in and locally, (laughs) then um, you're even at greater risk. And so... I think there was something special in there for me about being able to contribute to providing and filling in that gap for those in our community that didn't have the same resources that I did. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point, um, thought provoking, you know, mm-hmm. for because folks that listen to this come from all walks of life, and I think that if they really sat down and they said, "Man, if something were to happen." If I were not to have this little cushion that I have or if, you know, something were to happen that was significant, what would I do? What would I, who would I rely on? And I think a lot of people do have those um, familial or friend mm-hmm. supports or, you know, they have those um, people that could step up. But, but really when you, when you think about it, I mean, everyone is just one step away from homelessness and it just, uh, for some people, that step is a lot bigger than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's crazy. That um, that's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you don't find yourself in that headspace too often, why are you so passionate? I mean, obviously you have your your background, mm-hmm. um, your experience personally. I think um, you probably have seen a lot of the good that Lydia Place mm-hmm. is doing. I mm-hmm. mean, talk talk about more about why you're so passionate about the work that you guys are doing. People experiencing homelessness and poverty are just like everyone else. They're, they're just like us. Um, you know, we all really want, we all want the same things. We all want to be healthy. We all want to volunteer at our kids' school. We all want to, you know, raise our children into healthy adults. We all want to have good food that we can put on the table and invite our friends over for dinner. And we all um, want to think about the future and be excited about uh, taking vacations and other things that we can do as a family and grow together. And really, we are all just humans. And I think the more that we um, just get to hear client story after client story and be invited into that space with the families that we've served and, uh, and the more that they're vulnerable with us and sharing in that process, the more that just that human component, that human nature thing just really, really sticks out to me personally. You can never really underestimate the 
the stability that a home can provide in those basic needs. I know one of our case managers was sharing with me recently, um, she has clients that just moved into housing with a baby that just turned one. The last six months of baby's life, they were in a car. And so, um, you know, they're, they're wonderful, thoughtful parents. But at the same time, in a car, you can't, baby can't have tummy time, right? Baby can't engage in developmental play. And so when they moved into housing, baby was way behind of meeting those physical benchmarks and developmental benchmarks that they should have simply because they weren't able to meet that need. And that had nothing to do with um, the kind of parents or people that they were. It was just about the resources that they had. And so once they were able to get in, it was no time before baby was all caught up. You know, we were able to get a, a bouncer for her. She's cruising around the house while our case manager is having a home visit. And just, um, you know, the case manager themselves could say, like, it was amazing to see how much more, like, interactive and excited and engaging the, the kiddo was just because they have a place to play and to be now. Um, I think we can't really take that for granted. I mean, I am expecting our second little one. Oh, exciting. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And um, we, have a, we have a little girl right now. She's almost two. And I just can't even imagine um, not having her have all the little things that she has right now. Um, the space to run around. Um, the comforts. The, the heat. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about the... Some of those things that that you provide in housing, like you, you talked about a little bit a moment ago, but talk about how some of those things can affect a child. And I know that I recently spoke to um, the folks from Project Exit, the Opportunity mm -hmm. Council program, and they were saying that the first five years of your life is extremely formative, um, and that's another reason why taking care of families is so important. Talk about mm -hmm. the developmental stuff. and Yeah, extremely important important. There's something, uh, a predominant study out there that we base a lot of what we do on called ACEs, Adverse Child Experiences. And if you've experienced, I believe it's four more ACEs, you are significantly more likely to experience homelessness as an adult. So being able to provide that support and stability at a young age is Crucial. It's formative. It's, it's incredibly formative. What, and with what are some examples of some aces? Um, those shelter is a big one. Shelter, um, just family status if parents are together or not. Um, safety in the home, domestic violence, and so um, blinking on some of the others off the top of my head right now. Um, but those but are some just, things that Lydia Place is taking care, care of. of. Yes specifically. Um, but one of the ways that we've seen homes, it just provides this safe, like blanket of safety and peace, right? There's this anxiousness that comes when you don't know where you're going to sleep or when you think you might lose where you're going to sleep. And that anxiousness can then affect your ability to sleep and to rest. And then that might be able to, that might affect your ability to, you know, function at work or for our kids at school the next day and kids are intuitive too so even if parents are trying to keep on a good face and pretend everything's all right kids often 
really can sense when things are just off as well. And that can bring them stress and anxiety too. And so providing homes and support to increase that foundation of stability is really crucial in those formative years of leveling the playing field and providing that peace so kids can really focus on playing and learning and development rather than having to carry all this worry about what's going to happen to them. Oh, man, I can't even imagine as a parent, like, feeling like your kid is being adversely affected by the stress that you're going through. You're going through your own thing, but you want to take care of your kids, and it just seems like it's kind of a compounding effect. So that's uh, amazing that, that some of those things that Lydia Place is providing is helping um, address that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you guys provide parental support what does that look like? Parents are the first and most important teachers of our children. And so we it's um, not necessarily a skills-based program, but a relational-based program where we're really coming in and coaching parents on being that teacher and support to their child and creating positive play in the home. Our, our parent education program, so it's in-home, So in addition, our case managers go to the homes of our clients. Our parent educators go to the homes of our clients as well because that's really informative to understanding really the dynamics of the families that we're serving and also helping the families just set up their home in a way that is helpful for the kids to creating those spaces of of play and um, spaces where they can focus on building those relationships. With the parent education program, this is part of also our prevention model. Um, Right now, we've talked about how homelessness has just continued to increase, 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 increase. And so much of that is that generational cycle. We've struggled to get to the point where we really can prevent homelessness um, for, say, someone over there that's about to lose their housing. Our system isn't there yet. But one thing that we can do as a response is focus on um, providing support when there are those ACEs or providing support to avoid those ACEs so that our kids aren't the adults that we're serving tomorrow or in 10 years. And so this is really part of our response to that prevention of something that we can do now um, to eliminate that generational cycle and likelihood of experiencing homelessness. Such a fascinating subject to me, having had that conversation with, again, Project Exit. And, I, I mean, one thing that um, David Webster over there had mm-hmm. talked about quite a bit was habits and attitudes and how the way that you see your parents acting or reacting mm-hmm. to things or, you know, kind of patterns that they fall into um, really contributed to the children's perspective and how that kind of in turn kind of led them down the same exact path mm-hmm. as their parents had. So it sounds like your case managers are trying to not, so you don't not only provide housing, but you're trying to provide um, an environment where they're able to thrive. Mm-hmm. And perhaps um, the case managers are teaching the parents how to be good examples for their kids. So they're changing some of those habits and attitudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our case managers are doing that and our our parent educators are as well. And again, we've talked a lot about that crisis when you're 
how hard it is when you're just trying to survive and find out where you're going to sleep. And you don't, you don't have the luxury to think much beyond that. And so that's where so much of that decision-making comes into play where you're really just making decisions based on in the moment and not able to make decisions based on the long term. So that's really part of what we're hoping to do and hoping to change with all of these different efforts um, with our parent education and our case management and our counseling is that we can get to that point of stability and that long-term planning for the family and including the children in that. I'm curious about, um, would you say that sometimes you see mental health issues with some of these families and how do you address that? And let's start there. How, how do you address that? Absolutely. Mental health is probably a number of, one of the number one contributing factors to the families that we serve. And sometimes it's a large part in what caused the homelessness, potentially caused the loss of employment that you know created the loss of income, that then created the loss of a house. Sometimes mental illness also comes on as a result of homelessness and that depression and fear and anxiety kind of happens after the fact as a result um, and is exasperated by that continual flight or fight response during that survival mode as you're trying to get by each day. We, uh, back in June of 2016, as a staff, really identified we access to mental health resources in the community is extremely limited, especially to folks that are of low income. And again, if you can get into somewhere, um, it's a month month's wait or more until you can access services. And then those services are also really, really limited. You might only be able to get in once a month or every other month. And that's just not enough to meet the need that's going on. And so we identified as a team that we needed to do something and we needed to do something quick for the families that we were serving because it was just continuing to um, impact the ability to maintain stability in our housing units. And so by December of that year, we actually launched our counseling program. So right now it is comprised of a clinical program director and licensed counselor. They're also overseeing three MSW interns that are um, working on getting their hours. And so we're able to deploy in-home mental health services. So we're also eliminating that barrier of needing, you know, transportation and just sometimes getting there when it's already hard enough if you're facing depression. Um, and uh, so our counselors are also able to, you know, go into the homes, get a better picture of kind of what are some of the things that might be contributing to the mental illnesses and be able to do that work one-on-one -on -one directly on an as-needed, you know, whether that's just a one-time intervention or a weekly or twice-a-weekly thing, they're able to be really flexible about the intensity of the level of services that they provide. You know, one thing that's interesting that's kind of stuck out in this in this interview is I kind of ask about, well, what about this issue? What about that issue? Is they're like, well, actually, yeah, we thought about that too, and we're actually doing something about it. <laughs> yeah. So... That's pretty cool. I mean, and you can you can kind of see the evolution of of Lydia Place and saying, you know, the first need that we saw was like moms with kids. And then we're like, well, let's open this up to families in general. And then you're saying, well, we've kind of solved that problem or we've done a really good job at at, at addressing that issue. So, you know, what are what are some of these other things? So, mental health, 
looking in the future at helping singles, single men, mm-hmm. you know, singles that are not necessarily families as much. So um, I don't know. It's pretty cool to see that you guys are seemingly proactively trying to address a lot of the issues mm-hmm. um, for an overall goal of just disrupting homelessness and the causes of homelessness in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that keeps me excited to work at Lydia Place all these years later is that it's always different. We're always looking ahead. We're always being flexible to do whatever we can do to best meet, meet the needs of the people that we're supporting. I mean, is there any other any other piece to Lydia Place that would be interesting for folks to know to paint, to paint the full picture or anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Housing is really the first and most important thing that gives people the opportunity to thrive and equals the playing field. And so without that, we are losing valuable voices in our community that could be contributing to all the work that that we're doing and to our places of employment and to, you know, volunteer other organizations or be involved in our children's schools. And so the more that we can all work together, not just Lydia Place as a silo, but our entire community about being compassionate and prioritizing meeting those basic needs of our neighbors, the better off we're all going to be. I think the only other really big thing, if I didn't emphasize it enough, is that we need you. We need all the people in the community working together on this issue. And um, that could be, you know, if you have apartment units for rent, calling us up could just be volunteering. Um, We have 213 volunteers right now for various, whether it's like just events, you know, one-time things or ongoing and providing direct client support to the families that we're serving. We actually really couldn't do this work without the community. And so um, again, the community support is really what keeps us going as an agency and what we need to continue to tackle the issue of homelessness that's before us. Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Unless specifically stated otherwise, WeQ does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.